everybody, and welcome to another amazing episode of The Joy of Being, where I, your host, mum and effortless lifestyle coach, Rena Pearson, talk to transformational professionals, business owners and creatives about unplugging from the worries and stresses of life to light up with insight and joy. And today I'm super excited to have the amazing Mamoun Yousaf. He's the author of the best-selling book, Inside the Soul of Islam. He's a peace activist and transformational coach and the host of the British Muslim TV shows, Quran Coach and Taqwa Transformation, in which he changes people's lives through his powerful message of the inside-out paradigm. His online training programs, seminars, and writings are a source of inspiration for thousands of Muslims and spiritual seekers of all faiths across the world. And today, in today's show, where we talk about the joy of spiritual rituals, we had an amazing chat. We went from everything that's in his new book, From the Soul of Islam, to talking about going down to the pub and having a pint, to how to really enjoy the spiritual rituals that we have if we have them. And uh, so if you're the type of person that gets up at 5 a.m. in the morning and has these rituals and think these rituals are the reason why you can feel good throughout the rest of the day, and if you don't do them, you don't feel that way, then this is going to be a great podcast for you. Welcome, everybody. Welcome to another amazing episode of the Joy of Being podcast. And today, I'm super excited, as I've already mentioned, that I've got the incredible Mamoun Yousaf. Is that how you pronounce it? I hope it is. <laughs> it is how you pronounce it. Good, Good job. Today, we're going to be talking about the ritual, the joy of the rituals of spirituality. Mamoun is not only a coach, as I've already mentioned, but he's also written um, a book, not just any ordinary book, but he's uh, now a Hay House author, and it's called The Soul of Islam. So we're going to be focusing a little bit on that today and how it, you know, how it is that we can just enjoy the rituals of spirituality. And so if you're a stressed out woman, mom, entrepreneur who just feels like they have no time to make time for themselves, then this, is, this one's going to be a good one for you. So welcome, Mamoun. So lovely to have you here. So The Soul of Islam, can you share a little bit about what the book is about? Yeah, my favorite topic. Yeah, absolutely. The book is about the essential spiritual values that lie at the heart of Islam. And those spiritual values, of course, they're universal. As uh, the Dalai Lama once said, you know, there are many different flavors of tea, but everybody needs the water. What I attempted to do in the book is just to outline the key spiritual values, things that are so essential to Islam that any Muslim anywhere would be like, oh yeah, of course, yes, brilliant, yes. Love, truth, resilience, gratitude, forgiveness, all of these things that are really the heart of every religion and certainly at the heart of Islam. But the thing that I've never seen before, certainly in most of Western literature, is a book that talks about this kind of essential spiritual teaching mainly using the reference points of Islam. So like things that the prophet said, peace and blessings be upon him, things that are written in the Quran. And then the book goes a little bit further. So rather than just laying out all of these beautiful spiritual values, I also share a psychological understanding that allows those values to kind of become lived realities. And so that's the psychological understanding of the inside out, the three principles paradigm it has a lot of different names. That really deeply impacted me. And my an unexpected consequence was that my love for religion, my love for Islam and for all religions really deepened. And suddenly the things that I'd heard before that just sounded like good ideas and things to do now sounded like somebody speaking from truth and just sharing what it's like to live a certain way. And I think all religions from all prophets throughout history were beautiful spiritual realities that were lived by these people. That then everyone else around them was looking at them and like tried to figure out what was going on with like that Jesus, peace and blessings be upon him. Well, he's a very deep, what's going on with him? And then they would try to write it down and then, and then people tried to follow the kind of instructions and the manuals and things, but maybe didn't, the thing that's harder to articulate as you get closer to the truth, it gets harder to articulate. And uh, yeah, so this, this book is just a, an attempt to articulate some of those spiritual values and, and give a way of an understanding of how the mind works that makes it a lot easier and a lot more effortless and a lot less, I should do this, I should do that, and a lot more how beautiful life is when we 
see how it works. So for those people that are listening who, when you talk about how life works, they may not know how life works. So would you like to expand on that based on what we're talking about today? How does life work, Mamoon? I mean, obviously... Uh... <laughs> yeah. yeah. Nice, easy question for you. Yeah, go on, yeah. off you go. So uh, what we're really talking about... <laughs> so we're talking about... There's a few ways of looking at it, and I gave it a few random names that might mean nothing to anybody listening, but the inside out. So what we're really talking about is I held a seminar just the weekend just passed, and uh, something that I said several times is, I'm not here to tell you what to think. I'm here to change what you think thought is and the role that you think thought is playing in your life. And as our understanding of thought and the role it's playing in our life deepens, a lot of things start to look differently. And the essence, the main thing that the kind of the pinnacle or, or the key point that enlightens us as to what thought is and what it's doing is that thought is always and the only source of our experience and our feelings moment by moment by moment. So with that one thing that can be said in a sentence, it's so simple we can say it in a sentence, but it's so deceptive we could talk about it all day long and not get it, right? And so I'm going to say it again. We're always living in the feeling of thought in the moment. Our feelings are always coming from thought moment by moment by moment. We Most of our lives have assumed we're living in a world of circumstances and situations and things like that. But before that, we're living in a world of thought. You don't experience a situation or a circumstance or a relationship. You experience your thought about the situation, circumstance, or relationship. And again, it's not about changing what we think. It's about really getting a deeper understanding of what thought is and the role it plays. And for me, the first time I heard this, it immediately struck me because thought, it's not a thought thing that can be manipulated you know it's like what is thought it's a spiritual power and you could think of it like consciousness thought consciousness and mind these are spiritual gifts powers principles as sydney banks called them that allow us to see our way through life without them we're not even alive without them we don't even exist and so to have that as the starting point, to have the starting point be we're feeling our thinking moment by moment by moment. Now let's look at a spiritual value like love. It's really easy to talk about love and then suddenly relationships get really hard. And it's like, wait, wait a second. I was madly in love with you a minute ago and now I want to tear your head off. What changed from one moment to the next? Did you change? <laughs> or did I just start thinking differently in the next moment? You know, so... And there's a beautiful story that's actually in the book, Inside the Soul of Islam, but it, I, it's from my mentors, Keith Blevins and Valder Monroe. And there was this moment where, just on the topic of love, and there was this moment where Keith, being a, a lovely chap, and by the, in, the, in this story, just a typical guy, there was a, a pile of wood in front of Keith and Valder's house. And Keith was perfectly happy with the pile of wood being in the garden, this I saw being in the garden in the front of their house. And he just thought, well, it's that way. It's not harming anybody. It's fine. Valda, every time she saw it, she was like, Keith, are you going to move the wood pile or are you just going to leave it there? And uh, I get, they've told the story so many times, it feels like that wood pile was there for years, <laughs> right? But it was there. And, and there was this really poignant moment. Valda tells a story really powerfully where she comes home and she sees Keith and she's just like, oh, Keith's the best. Look at him. He's such a wonderful guy. He's like six foot four. He's like the big friendly giant. She goes over and she just gives him a really big hug. And she's hugging him, just feeling nothing but love and adoration for this wonderful man. She opens her eyes <laughs> and sees a pile of wood. And then immediately, all of those loving feelings. And I love this story so much because it's just every relationship conflict I've ever had is summarized in this story, right? She opens her eyes, she sees the pile of wood. And she's just like, oh, Keith, what are you doing? Why are you so lazy? Why? Duh? All of this negative thinking about Keith pops into her mind. But being a very insightful lady, she realizes that, wait a second, nothing changed in the last, from when I started hugging him to now, nothing's changed except for the way I'm thinking. You know, the thought about the situation and Keith, thought is the only thing that's changed. And when she said that, 
But when she realized that, she looked at Keith and she said something that, that really touched me. She said, I'm going to be on your team a lot more from now on. And Keith, through this whole experience, was completely perplexed. He had no <laughs> idea what was going on. <laughs> like, he's like, well, when you're already on my team, like we're married, what do you mean you're going to be on my team? It's like, when you're already on my team? And she said, well, no, I don't think I really was because the whole relationship, and, and I really relate to this story because I was married once before and divorced. And this really just summarized it. Like the whole relationship, you're blaming the other person for your feelings, good or bad. So when you're feeling wonderfully loving, it's like, oh, you're so amazing. You make me feel wonderful and loving and happy. And then a minute later, you're feeling upset or angry or frustrated because your thinking has changed. And then you're blaming that on them as well. Sidney Banks, I quote in this book quite a bit. He says, all mental illnesses, all mental sicknesses come from putting our feelings onto objects. But if you can see the objects without the feelings, then you're mentally, psychologically, spiritually healthy. And that did a lot for me. Uh, the object could be anything. The object could be your spouse. It could be, you know, it could be your work. It could be the situation you're in. When we put all of our feelings onto the object, pretending that it's not coming from thought, it's coming from the thing that we're thinking about, that's where we start going into not so joyful being land. And when we realize moment by moment by moment, all of our experiences coming from our thinking moment by moment, all of a sudden, there's just a weight that's lifted off our shoulders. There's a, there's a depth of feeling, a deeper dimension of thought and feeling that emerges. Our whole experience, which has always been spiritual, suddenly becomes spiritualized because everything in life is an experience that's happening through this formless gift, this formless power of thought. I like to think of it as a spiritual gift or, or a God-given gift. So that's the understanding. In yeah. A nutshell. Well, and yeah, I know you and I met each other through this understanding. What mm. kind of was coming to me as I was hearing this was, um, how does this play out in religion? How does this play out in these spiritual rituals mm. that we do? Um, mm. Because often, you know, I, I've seen this so many times, you know, on Facebook or whatever. You know, you've got to have your morning ritual. You've got to have your spiritual ritual every morning. Otherwise, your day is yes. really bad, right? Like, and then you get yeah. up because you haven't done your spiritual oh ritual. Um, and, and then it's like my day is awful now because yeah. I have this belief that because I didn't do my spirit, spiritual ritual in the morning, the rest of my day oh. is going to be it's an gone. absolute write-off. <laughs> That's it. It's over. It's done. Like, <laughs> I'm over. Here. You've messed it up. Yeah. yeah. I'm, gonna, I'm going down to the pub. <laughs> fun the ritual let's go and have a pint right so i missed the pre-dawn fudger (laughs) prayer the day is gone i'm going down the pub (laughs) that's it it's a right today's a write-off hope i wake up on time tomorrow yeah (laughs) but we do this so often right without even realizing that we're doing it i remember doing yoga for years and like kind of beating myself up if I didn't go and do yoga and go, oh, it's because I didn't go to yoga that I feel so bad. But what I didn't realize was is that I was beating myself so much about not going to yoga. That's why I was feeling so bad. It had nothing to do with yoga. Um, Amazing. So could you speak to that a little bit? And especially because I'm I'm assuming and imagining, because I'm obviously not religious. and Well, I am in the sense that I'm atheist or I believe believe in like spiritual intelligence that exists. But could you speak a little bit more to that? Especially like if you are a Muslim and you are practicing and you do Ramadan and all of this sort of stuff, how does that play out? Because it's not like you can choose or not choose. There's a sense of like, you have to. So I'm really, yeah, yeah. So I'm really curious about that. And this is one of those key things. If you look at religion the wrong way around, let's say, <laughs> It can just look like a big, a very long to-do list that doesn't seem to do very much for you, right? That's supposed to do a lot for you, but, but it, it, it can look very confusing. And this is a, a subject that's very close to my heart. I actually have whole programs and weekend seminars and stuff about you know, how to wake up, like pro- productivity and waking up early and doing you know, spiritual productivity, all that kind of stuff. Because yeah, 
I love that what you just said about yoga. We, we get, cause, and, and this would be the same in any spiritual tradition. I'm sure of it. I'm sure whether you're a Buddhist and you meditate every day or a Muslim and you pray a certain way, or uh, if you're Jewish and, and you have three prayers a day, like this is something that I'm sure is universal across all traditions where there are rituals. And the key thing about all of the rituals is that they don't benefit God at all. Doesn't matter how long and hard you pray, doesn't do anything for God, <laughs> right? They're there for you. They're there to benefit you. I mean, just like yoga. Yoga doesn't benefit, I don't know, a guru that, you know, that passed away 10,000 years ago. It benefits you today. But then we get it in our heads that, well, in order for me to, there's two big things that happen. Like where all this crosses over with religion and ritual and that kind of thing, it's two big areas. And I think the first and the most important is understand, that comes from understanding how thought works is to understand something about insight. The greatest benefit that can come from being present and being mindful, which is what we're meant to try and do while we're doing these rituals. We're meant to be super present, very present, very mindful. But the greatest benefit that comes from that is an understanding, an insight, a new way of seeing life. It might not even be articulatable, which isn't a word, I'm sure, but it might just be a, a really now. deep feeling of it is now. It might just be a deep feeling of connection with, you know, what I call Allah. You could call the universe, the infinite intelligence behind life, but a really deep feeling of connection with that. And with that can come insight and wisdom. You know, the Buddha, peace and blessings upon him, believed that he, he said, mindfulness is a ship sailing along the sea that takes you to the shores of wisdom and insight. But that really hit me because in the Quran, it talks about basira, which is insight. It talks about realization, deep reflection that can lead to realization. The aim of prayer is to be in this state of presence. It's a state of meditation, right? Exactly. A state of meditation, a state of mindfulness, a state of God consciousness, a state of presence, different words, same state. But the aim is to be in that state so that maybe an insight comes. Now, in the, the, here's the trick, the, the way I say it. You can't make Allah give you an insight. You can't make the universal intelligence behind life be like, okay, here you go, here's an insight. You can't force your way into it. You, it doesn't matter how rigorous and strict you are about your religious or spiritual practice, you can't make God give you, you know, wisdom, realization, insight. It's a gift that comes. And there's a beautiful understanding that the spiritual scholars of Islam, Sufis, beautiful spiritual understanding that they have, which is that, like, don't be surprised if you are gifted an insight or a realization that is completely transformational and completely changes you and that you did nothing to deserve it. They say, don't be surprised if you didn't pray hard enough or fast hard enough to deserve such a wonderfully deep and powerful insight because your practice is your presentation to God. And the insight is God's presentation to you. And your presentation to God can never compare to God, this infinite intelligence presenting you with a gift. You know, your practice is your gift to God. The insight and the wisdom that comes as you're silent and as you're doing the practice is God's gift to you. Now, there's another really important thing here, which is, so that's kind of the, the idea, the purpose behind all these practices is that this might happen. And, and you could have, and everybody should bear in mind, because this happens through thought, everyone listening is only one thought away from a blissful, enlightening understanding that can create far more joy in your life for the rest of your life. Everyone's only one thought away. And, you know, and people would ask Sidney Banks, well, well, what is that one thought? And Sidney Banks would say, it's no thought. And when he says no thought, you can never have no thought. You know, it means a quiet mind. But in that state, Chipman says it's like a deepening, a deeper dimension of thought, this state of a quiet mind. And from that place, insight, wisdom, transformation can occur. Now, before I got this, before I understood how thought worked, I didn't think it worked that way. I thought you pray really hard every day and you fast for a whole month and then intermittently fast, you know, during the, the weeks in between and you go on pilgrimages and you do all the, you, you study the Quran and memorize it. You do all these things. And if you do them long enough and hard enough, then 
you get given something that's commensurate with the work that you put in. I've put in all this time and effort. So now where are my rewards? <laughs> uh, yeah. Hello, right. where, where are my insights? Hello, where are they? I don't feel any better. Yeah. So that's an interesting observation in that, so you're waiting for something outside of you to, to kind of make you feel better as opposed. So I'm curious about something actually. Yeah. Having this understanding. So just to give someone a bit of background about Sydney Banks, if you're listening, you've never heard about him because obviously you and I have many times a day probably. So Sydney Banks was a Scottish welder who had an enlightened moment and he realized that thought is the way that we perceive the life that we have. And through thought, you can perceive everything. Wisdom is just thought that's been uncontaminated. So it's a new thought that you've never had before that comes in and you're suddenly going, aha, oh wow, okay. Like the moment when you lose your keys and then you find them again, but usually because you've got a relaxed mind, that's why they come in. But you don't have to pray to have insight. I just want to make sure that people understand that. You don't have to have those. Very important. I, that, that was going to be my next point. Is, oh, oh yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no. Go on, go very, on. very important. <laughs> yeah, because this is the trick. Like I always would, growing up, I would think the harder I pray, you know, eventually the benefit I get would be commensurate with how hard I work at this thing called spirituality, right? Yeah, you get bad. And then, <laughs> yeah, you, yeah. Like at some point, I just figured in the middle of the night, like a light would open up. And it would shine on my head, and then I'd be like, oh, "Wow!" You know? <laughs> and and you know the other thing, very religious people. The other thing they say, "Well, no, we're not doing this for any worldly reward. We're doing it for after we die. Maybe this will will do something." But here's the trick that we're missing: is that it comes through thought, and like I said before, Allah could bless you with life-changing thought at any moment that you don't even think you deserve. Right, like, and that's how it felt when I first came across the inside-out understanding. I was like, "Wow!" I'd been so it brought me so much relief and so much psychological relief, such a deeper sense of spirituality, such a deeper understanding of the Quran. I now had because I knew that my experience was coming through thought. Uh, so much more joy than before, and I wasn't doing anything. And I, I was like, "I don't even deserve this." Until I read a little thing written by Ibn Atta'illah al-Iskandaria, someone I'm sure everybody listening has read. <laughs> I wouldn't even know how to pronounce that. Can you say that again? <laughs> uh, a brilliant little book. He, he wrote a little book called The Hikam, right? Which I think means, it means like the aphorisms or the wisdoms or something. But I'll tell you something cool about this little book that he wrote. It's just What's little his sentences. Name again? His name was Ibn Atta'illah. Oh, Ibn Atta'illah. Right. <laughs> of course. Oh, yes, Ibn Atta'illah. So... He wrote this little book, but the cool thing about it is you would get throughout the, since he wrote it, you would get these very formal, traditional Muslim scholars who have been through, you know, studied all of the, memorized all of the text, studied all of the formal literature. And then they would come across this little book and it would completely throw them off. It would completely change them. A few hundred years ago, if you were a Muslim scholar, that was like the highest status you could have in society. You might be a judge or a dignitary right? Professor at a university, which was something a lot more respected back then, right? And this would throw them off. So you'd get like big high people, like the, the most well-known scholars would they'd read this and then give up their work and go off wondering. And this is the classic tale of like the Sufi whirling dervish. They go off wondering and they're, they're in amazement. They realize that all of the things they've been doing up until now have been for the wrong reasons, for status, for fame and things like that, but none of that's reality. And so and one of the, the key lines, the, one of the first lines in, in the aphorisms, the hikam, is your efforts are just your presentation to God. God is going to give you a presentation, which is insight. Now, insight doesn't come through prayer. If you happen to pray a lot, you might get some while you're praying. If you happen to meditate a lot, you might have insight while you meditate, but it doesn't require that. What it requires is thought. And that's something we've all already got. And we're all doing 24 hours a day, seven days a week. So you could go for a walk in the park and have a, a, an incredible insight. And somebody might be saying, oh, of course, that's called meditative walking. No, 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 no. You could be doing nothing of any, you know, you don't have to be having a bath. You don't have to be going for a walk in the park. You could be in the middle of a jujitsu session, which has happened to me, <laughs> like with a big fat guy sitting on me. And just having a wonderful insight. And it wasn't because of the big fat guy. <laughs> and it, it wasn't because of the big fat guy. In the same way, 
It's not because of the effort you put into pray. In the same way, it's not because of the park. It's because you're living in a thought-created world, and at any moment, you could have fresh new thought that's completely transformative. Yeah. And when we fall into the illusion that there is something we need to do, right? So I need to do all the rituals and then get somewhere. It's like, if I don't do my morning meditation, then I can't be happy. Then I can't, then I won't be peaceful all day long. You know, if I don't do, and so then you, and just as you said, and honestly, one of my biggest breakthroughs was realizing this is not true, (laughs) right? That I could, uh, probably a lot of Muslims believe this. Well, I have to wake up for Fajr. Why do you pray? Well, because it makes me feel good. And I say to people when they're at my seminars, often there's maybe 70, 80% Muslims at my seminars. And they say, listen, if you're praying to make yourself feel good. Go down to the pub. (laughs) Right. (laughs) Firstly, there might be better ways to do it. But secondly, like if you're praying to make yourself feel good, you're not really praying purely for God, purely for, for joy, purely for like, you might not be praying for the right reasons, right? It's like you've put your feelings of feeling good and you've put the feeling of feeling bad on prayer right? So if I don't pray, I'm going to feel bad. But if I pray, I'll feel good. If I don't do yoga, I'll feel bad. But if I do, it, I'll feel good. Well, you've taken, you've immediately taken the power of feeling away from thought, away from consciousness, away from the ultimate source of everything, thought, consciousness, mind, God, taking it away from that and put it on a practice that you can do. So it's like, that's the illusion. Again, Denny Banks, the sicknesses of the mind come from putting our feelings onto objects. That object could even be the ritual. But if you can see the object without the feeling, then you are spiritually, mentally healthy. Go ahead. But you're also free because what I'm really hearing here is, is that you end up not doing it because you think you need to. You end doing it because you want to and it's much more enjoyable that way because you know you're just free to do it. Because now I go to yoga and I do it because I want to and I enjoy it so much more because I'm not, I know I'm not really getting anything out of it. Uh, Physically, I am. But the feeling I'm in comes from me and who I'm being in that moment. I remember it was so funny because now I see it. I can never understand it. So I've met a lot of people that do yoga and they were really neurotic. And I would just couldn't never understand that. could never understand a lot yeah. of the yoga clan were so neurotic. And, and then when I came across this understanding, I understood. Now, I'm not... If anybody's listening to this and they are part of the Ishtanga community, I'm not <laughs> blaming or judging anyone. It was just an observation because I was one of those neurotic women. It was me. Yeah. You know, it was just a reflection of me. And then over time, I realized that I could just enjoy the yoga for what it was and I didn't have to push myself and, and be hardcore with it. I could just go mm-hmm. because I wanted to. And it just was so freeing. So what I'm really hearing in this is that and actually having this understanding can just have you enjoy those spiritual rituals in the morning. It's not a question of whether or not you give them up. You may decide to actually, um, mm-hmm. or you may decide that actually, you know, I could actually get even more enjoyment out of them. Cause I, I think we often get mixed up between meditating and the state of meditation. Exactly. Yeah. There's a thing, there's a realization I had at one point, which is let's say I missed my prayers this morning. There's only one point in time you can actually pray. And that's right now. Like right now, my obligation is not to pray this morning that's already passed. Right now, there's a prayer that I can be doing right now, which is to be here present with you. This is my prayer right now. And all of life is a prayer. Mm. That's the way it's really meant to be. All of life is a prayer. We, Muslims formalize it five times a day. But the idea isn't to pray five times a day. The idea is that all of life is a prayer. Every moment can be a prayer. Uh, presence doesn't require meditation. Meditation requires presence. You know? mm. Prayer is uh, being aware of Allah. We call it dhikr. That's, that's the word we have for it. It's the psychological state of presence. It's when you're aware of God. It's bringing God to mind, right? That is, it's called Vikr, Z-I-K-R. There's a, there's a whole chapter in this good book about it. And that is something that can only happen now. And if you're in that state and then it's time to pray or it's time for your yoga class, it might look like a great idea to go to do that, you know? But then the form of your prayer is just going to change, right? Whereas this becomes really a lived reality when we start to understand the nature of thought. We're constantly living in a thought-generated experience, 
we're constantly living in thought. You know, I was saying to a, an attendee during a lunch break of the seminar last weekend, I was saying, it's amazing how much this connects us with Allah. And the attendee said, you know, we're always connected with Allah. We just think we're not sometimes. I was like, yeah, and we're always present. We're always in dhikr. We just think our way out of it. This is your natural state. And the, I love the name of this podcast, The Joy of Being, because the joy of being is always already there. We just sometimes think our way out of it. And yeah, yeah because we often think that we, you know, how can we get more joyful? But actually, we don't. Mm. the question isn't that. The question is, how can we stay in this joy more often? Yeah, exactly. And, and how can we be more joyful? Like when I say we think our way out of it, one of the brilliant ways we think our way out of it is by saying, I can only be happy if I do my meditation tomorrow morning, or I didn't do my meditation today, so the day's gone, <laughs> right? Well, no, the only meditation I'm interested in is the meditation of this moment. Yeah, and I, wanna, I kind of want to go, I, what I'm really hearing is that religion, like with any kind of understanding, can be, can be brought in intellectually. So mm. from what you were saying, the scholars were at the helm of this religion for a really long time. So it was a very intellectual understanding. But then there were people like, I can't even pronounce his name. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh no, it's just so and there, have, and there have been many, but you know what? Let's stick with, let's stick with uh, one that we might be more familiar with, Rumi. 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 Yeah. Right, Rumi. What I'm really hearing you say is, is that there were certain poets and people like Rumi who took it from the intellectual into the spiritual, really, our spiritual nature, which is really what this is about. But also what I'm really hearing is that the understanding you and I talk about is really the understanding that all religions talk about. Absolutely. But they just use different words. So what I'm really curious about is disdain towards religion, disdain towards others because this is what we're really talking about right because there is the fanaticism that happens yeah. but in your book you talk about you know ariana grande and and there was another terrorist attack in you in, in london but if we don't have this understanding we think that the issue is the terrorist but actually mm -hmm. what we're not really seeing is is the issue is their thinking around mm -hmm. their own yeah. religion right so yeah. could you elaborate a little bit more on that because that i find that absolutely yeah. fascinating yeah, like, I don't know if anybody remembers the, the Orlando attack. There was someone who, you know, ostensibly was a, by name, a Muslim, gets a big weapon, goes into a gay nightclub, shoots it up. And afterwards, the media report that there were 51 victims of that attack. And I remember having a conversation with Keith Blevins, where he said, you know, it's a travesty. They say there were 51 victims, but there were 52. They never count the perpetrator who is a victim of his own psychological suffering, his own outside-in, painful, crazy thinking, who himself, by the way, gets shot at the end of the story by a police officer. You know? But we're never going to resolve the real issues we've got with a, a good, bad, right, wrong moral system, because we've been trying that for centuries, and we need to go a step further and a step deeper and say, like, wow, that to get to the point where we can hate someone and genuinely believe that our feeling of hate towards them is because of them and what they did, and not because of our own hateful thinking in the moment, that right there is a problem. People are always asking Muslims, like, what, what are you going to do to stop terrorism? And I'm always like, yeah, but you know, we find out about a terrorist attack at the same time everybody else does on the news. And at that point, we can't really do anything. We can pray for them, for the victims. But, but the, as far as I can see, there's only one thing that I can do. And that is to be very, very aware of where my own feeling and my own experience comes from. And the more aware I am, if you want to change all of the world, change all of yourself, if you want the world to be a more loving place, be a more loving person. If you want the world to stop being insane, stop being insane. <laughs> Seriously. And me too, by the way, this isn't coming from judgment. Like I go insane every day. Every day there's something happens and I, for a moment or a minute or an hour, 
think that that thing is causing my experience, right? It could be something my wife says. I just got married, so I'm something my beautiful <laughs> new blame, bride says. You're blaming her. <laughs> my, my favorite person to blame for my feelings <laughs> of love and of annoyance. But, but it's such an illusion and it gets you every time. The moment you start thinking that someone else or something else or a thing that happened, like we don't live in a post-event experience. We live in a thought-in-the-moment experience. And my job isn't to make the rest of the world see that. My job is to see that myself. Like, it really is. And people who say, oh, well, you know, that's just wishy-washy. It's psychobabble. It's not going to solve anything. I might point out that this is the message brought by every prophet and enlightened person since the beginning of time. Change yourself. If you want peace in all of the world, create peace in all of yourself. The joy of being, it's not a podcast about making the world a happy place. It's the podcast about making yourself the most joyful, truest version of yourself, which is the you that's already there. It's who you've always already been, you know? And it becomes, if we can see through this illusion, it does so much for us and it automatically affects the people around us but we don't do it because it affects the people around us, right? So in every class, I always have somebody who's like, you know, I get this inside out stuff. I get what you're saying. My feeling comes from thought at the moment. But these people around me, but my family members, oh boy, I think they all need to go to your seminar. (laughs) Then I'm like, okay, time for a little intervention here. Pretty sure your family don't need to go through this seminar in order for you to benefit. If all your family went through the seminar, it wouldn't help you at all, (laughs) right? It'll make okay. you feel better. But that's actually not yeah, how yeah. it works. It looks like you're yeah. making you feel better, but exactly. it doesn't work that way. And yeah, the last seminar I did, and I learned so much from the people that come to the seminars and, and the people that I coach. Really, it's a learning experience for me every time. And someone said, you know, I just realized something. When I think someone's gone into crazy town, which is an affectionate term for the outside in, when I think someone's gone into crazy town, it just means I've gone into crazy town. I'm like, whoa, yeah, usually it does. <laughs> You know, and um, I can be hateful and judgmental towards a, a, a Muslim terrorist. I can totally do that. I'm like, you son of a gu-. like. There's a thing for Muslims now. Like when it, when a big attack happens, we're like, please don't be Muslim. Please don't be Muslim. Please. Oh, it was a Muslim. <laughs> That's a thing that happens, right? And then we, we there could be all of this feeling on it, like like judgment and blame. Oh, they're giving our religion such a bad name, and oh, all this kind of stuff. And we we go through all that, but. If you can see your feelings about the things in the world are just your feelings, like you're not feeling the state of the world. And a Muslim isn't feeling the state of the ummah or the state of humanity. You're feeling the state of your thinking moment by moment. And that's so freeing. Yeah, it really is. And, um, you know, this, the story keeps coming to mind. that I, I kind of think it's quite pertinent to share in this moment. Yeah. Because it keeps coming back and I'm like, all right. <laughs> it was about four and a half, well, about four years ago now, I was in London and uh, I was pregnant with my son, Leo. And he, what, he was, I was three months pregnant or something like that. Anyway, I'm walking down the street minding my own business and I literally have a moment where a new thought popped in and it basically was like, who's creating your son? And I was like, well, it's not me. I'm not creating him. I'm just a, I go about my day and he's being created by something completely unknown to me. I can't even see it, but I know it's energy. I know it's, and then I looked down at my belly and I basically went, oh, he's God. And then my head went, we're all God because we're, we're all created in that way. My meaning, if you like, of God completely shifted in that moment mm. because I'd seen God as, as this outside being that had created all of this but as a person as a as an entity but i'd never seen it in myself and i'd never seen it in my son and and i'd never seen it in everyone else and of course i'd heard it you know i'd heard we're all god you know we're all one but i'd never really seen it for myself until that moment and what and what i got to see was that if we're all born in that way, if we're all created in that way from this universal intelligence, then it's the same universal intelligence that created the sea, the sun, mm-hmm. the trees, animals, others. 
And at that moment, I got to see, wow, we really are all one because we all come from that same energy. Mm-hmm. That was huge for me mm-hmm. to see. And then we express it in different ways, right? We have our character, our personality that, yeah. that is also interpreted through thought. But what I then saw was that religion is exactly the same. It's all sharing the same thing, Absolutely. different ways. But then our interpretation of it is what gets mm-hmm. in the way of us seeing mm-hmm. how powerful it can really be and, and, and what it's really yeah. talking about. Yeah, that's what I would call misunderstanding. Like telltale sign we're misunderstanding religion is it's dividing us from people (laughs) and uh, giving us more judgmental or even hateful thinking. Like the prophets who transmitted the religion didn't have that. It was the opposite. Every religion at its time, at the time it came about, was a force of unification. It brought people together and people opposed, oftentimes people would oppose it, but it's because it's such a bold thing to say, in God's eyes, we're all equal. Like, of course, the, the kings and the monarchs are going to have a problem with that, right? Like, oh, wait, this is, this is revolutionary. And, but it, because it's not just that our interpretation divides us, our interpretation of religion can unite us as well. Every prophet said something along the lines, I know it from the prophet Muhammad, peace and blessings upon him, but love for humanity what you love for yourself and wish for your neighbor what you wish for yourself. I believe in Christianity, it's do unto others as you would have them do unto you. The golden rule. And it's um, so we go down, like I think what happens is we're, we're curious about the purpose behind life. And, and Sidney Banks, by the way, he once said, somebody asked him, well, what's the purpose of life? And he said, well, the purpose of life is to know God. And he just said it as though, doesn't everybody already know that? <laughs> like, purpose of life. And what I loved about your story is that was the story of a big realization you had about the nature of God. And anytime you have a realization about the nature of God, the nature of thought, the nature of consciousness, you're going to change. It's going to do something really wonderful for your life. We call it ma'rifa, which is to knowing God. It's the ultimate purpose of life. And we go down our, each of us goes down our journey and we're going through life searching for this thing. And religions can help out a lot. And I think throughout history, they get a lot of bad rap because people have misunderstandings. But throughout history, they've done a lot to help people have focused themselves in a direction where they can have a quiet mind and they can have, you know, listen to beautifully wise words and be touched by truth comes to mind as a question which is you know often and i mean often we we see two inter-religious families getting together so you know oh he's not muslim or oh she's jewish and oh and that being a really big issue but that to me is like saying oh he's spanish or he's english or like oh i don't know that guy's got a beard i don't know if it's going to work out (laughs) yeah i'm really curious about that because that still is in our collective consciousness right Mm. or is it i don't know i'm not involved in that so i'm curious about that is that still being passed down from generation to generation that we have to marry into the Mm. same religion if Mm. so why because if religion is really pointing to the same thing, no matter what religion you're in. It's just being expressed yeah. in a different way. So I'm just curious about that. Yeah, yeah. I think that's where, um, where things can get, where people get confused and things can be confusing because we're talking about laws within religion. So for me, the essence of the religion, the essence of every religion is the same. Like there's no religion in the world that says, don't forgive people. There's no religion in the world that says, don't be peaceful. You know, don't love humanity. There's no religion says that. But every religion, as it developed over time, developed laws of like, oh, well, it would probably be best for society if we formalize this law of not going around killing people. And I think that, you know, law is a place where, you know, it's developed by lawyers. It's not developed necessarily by spiritual masters, (laughs) right? And they're trying to figure things out. And they, it developed over time at points in history where, you know, like, uh, you know, a few hundred years ago, Pete, the only reason people got married, even a couple of hundred years ago, 
the only reason people got married was financial and familial. It's the only reason it happened. And it's pretty recent that we didn't need family and stuff like that to be a thing because very recent we could all be individual and make our own money and not have to depend on. So I don't know. I think those laws developed over time. And I think that it's not the laws because as Keith would say, well, you could put that law on both sides of the diagram, you know, what's so the law diagram, like... Mimoon, cause... <laughs> great question. Because <laughs> people question. are like listening going, uh, what the hell is What it? diagram? Oh, this sounds like a cool diagram. diagram. I can't see any diagram. Yeah. <laughs> so if you imagine a diagram where there's a line down the middle and on one side it says feeling is coming from thought in the moment. And on the other side, it says feeling is coming from something other than thought in the moment. The point is, we could have these laws and be super judgmental with each other based on the law. And we could be super judgmental about the law. Or we could realize, all right, well, that law's a thing. Just like British law. Like if you've got road rage, you might have some anger towards the laws of <laughs> speeding, right? But it's not the law that's the problem. It's your thinking in the moment that's the problem. Yeah, so for me, this is a really interesting one. Like when the law, and every religion's got some laws that are quite archaic and that probably made a lot of sense when they came about and don't make a whole lot of sense in other contexts. But for me, if we can see past that, that's why I didn't write a book called Inside the Body of Islam, <laughs> right? Because because the, 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 if Islam was a person, the mind, body, and soul, the mind would be the belief system, the body would be the laws, and the soul would be the spiritual essence at the heart of the religion, and that's what's universal. The laws in Christianity are similar to the laws of Islam, and they're similar to the laws of Buddhism, but they're all different, right? But the spiritual reality of Christianity is the same as the spiritual reality of Islam, is the same as the spiritual reality of Buddhism. So they're all pointing towards what I would call Allah, what other people would call God. universal intelligence. Yeah. So what you're really talking about is we're all Allah, really. I mean, you know, that insight I had about everyone being God and their own expression of it. It's not Allah who's almighty over there. It's Allah who actually, who I am. Yeah, it's the, the sustainer. There's a, a great Muslim scholar said, we don't say that everything is God. We say that nothing has any reality in and of itself but God, which is a kind of a way of saying the same thing. Okay. But it, it gets you out of theological <laughs> problems. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> yeah, exactly. In essence, in essence, what we're saying is there's a spiritual reality to life and we're all in it. And that's... The, the most incredible thing, though, yeah, yeah, about this, though, is, is that so often at the root of our humanness, we think we're not enough. But actually, what I'm really hearing from what you're saying is, is we're so powerful beyond belief, which really is the point, I guess, mm. that if we knew how powerful we were, I guess that's the trick. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's so easy to think yourself out of your power, to think yourself out of joy, to think yourself out of connection. And it's easy to forget that you're just pretending. We, the outside in, the idea that feeling doesn't come from thought in the moment isn't real. It doesn't really exist. We just pretend it does. We pretend we're not powerful. We pretend that, oh, God is so distant from me. We pretend that there's no connection. But that's not reality. That's just the power of our imaginations at work. And I think when we realize something about the nature of thought, it does a lot for us. And that's really what I try to do in Inside the Soul of Islam, is explain a little bit who Sidney Banks was, what the paradigm is, the inside out, three principles paradigm. And then say, look, here's all the cool stuff religion teaches us. How does it look from the inside out? And how does it look when we try to do those things from the outside in? Because it can often look quite comical, like we were saying before, right? Yeah. My hope is that it will do something for everyone. Anyone who reads this book, if, this, if you're a Christian, I want this book to make you a better Christian. Now, if you're Jewish, I hope that this makes you a better Jewish person. If you're anyone, I hope it, it makes you it makes your life better, not by necessarily changing you, but by helping you let go of all of the painful thinking that's stopping you from being who you really are, which is your best self, which is pure consciousness, which is soul. Thank you, Mamoon. And one last question I have, which is, I love to ask this question because 
joy for me is not only about who we really are, but, but also it's giving ourselves permission to do the things that we love. And often when we get so caught up in our own day-to-day of doing, we often don't give ourselves that permission. So I'm curious, what are you giving yourself permission to do more of at the moment? Okay, now I, this is going to sound a little bit silly, Yay! but I am an absolute sucker for ninja samurai kung fu movies and secretly jumping up and down in front of the television while they're playing. <laughs> like <laughs> All of that stuff. Jackie Chan, Bruce, oh my gosh, I turn into a complete kid when that stuff is on. I'm just like... <laughs> And I, I do like proper full-on impressions of Bruce Lee that I'm not going to do right now, but like... Oh, come scary. on. Go and do one, like one. It is come like on. a finger pointing away to the moon. Don't concentrate on the finger or you'll miss all that heavenly glory. You understand? Yes. Kick me. <laughs> <laughs> Did so, your like, wife partake yeah. in this ritual at all? She's observed it. Let's just say that. <laughs> She's observed it. She's questioned who she married. You know. Did it come out after you got married? Or is she well aware of it beforehand? I told her, but I think she thought I was joking. You know? <laughs> like, I told her when I was in school, my nickname was Packy Chan. And she... she, she <laughs> I, I don't know. No, no one else is allowed to say that. That's got to be off the record. No, no, that's definitely on the record. I love that. <laughs> oh, Thank you so much. I'm, I'm, you know when you've been laughing so much, your cheeks hurt? <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, so if anyone wants to contact you or, you know, is really interested in what you're up to, how can they do that? Yeah, honestly, I'm not that interesting. And the best things I have to say about life are in the book. So I would just go to insidethesoulofislam.com. There you can get the book. You'll find out more about me. Yeah, but that's the title of the book. It's inside the soul of Islam.com. There you can get the book. And anything of value I've got to share with you is, is like, it's in here, <laughs> right? Otherwise, you're just going to get random stories of my personality. But the, the substance I've got to offer is all here. So, Well, thank you so much, Mamoon. It was such a pleasure to, to reconnect again and to see you as a married man for the second time. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I hope every future conversation we have, I'm still a married man, very happily married to you. All right, my love. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today. It was amazing to have you. Such an honor. Such an honor. Such a wonderful thing you're doing with this podcast. Thank you so much for doing it. Thank you. Thank you. And until the next one, bye-bye for now. And there you have it. Another wonderful episode of The Joy of Being. If you loved what you heard here today and it's been helpful, why not subscribe or share the podcast with others? And if you're curious as to how you can experience more joy in your life and feel carefree, then I invite you to download your Joy Catalyst Scorecard at www.marinapearson.com scorecard, which will help you identify the joy gaps and what you can do to fill them. So until next week's episode, remember, you are the joy you seek.